Hello everyone and welcome to Open House, the podcast all about having difficult conversations. Very interesting choice. Mm, bold well though, done. Isn't it? Very bold. Yeah, that's what we're here for. Very, very bold. Yeah. Um, Hi friends. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. I hope you're all enjoying, well for those of you who run on a school schedule, I hope you're enjoying this long April break. Oh yeah. To be fair though, by the time this comes out, it'll probably be day one of returning to school. I don't know, actually. I don't know if no, I work I off of No, I think for some other schools, I've got that week off as well. Oh, do you have that one off as yeah. well? Oh, I think I had a week earlier to be in time for um, when Pesach commences, and mm. then it runs for two two weeks after that. I'm not sure. Anyway. When are your school holidays? Ride in to tell us another fascinating <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I would actually, I think that's interesting. Moving on with the content of the show before we bore the listeners to death. Excuse me. Who do we have on the podcast? It is very interesting. Who do we have on the podcast today? We have Helen Duff, and Helen is wonderful and brilliant and also has a podcast, which you should check out. A podcast called Come As You Are, all about um, orgasms orgasms in um, women and non binary folk. Um, it's very exciting and a subject that I find super interesting. I love the podcast. Definitely check it out. And has wonderful, um, wonderful musical um, interludes. I'm so, it's really I'm so inspired The production is great. Beep, beep, boom. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's a really wonderful listening experience. Helen really gets into some amazing, brilliant, riveting conversations today. And just a trigger warning, Helen talks about PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder and how that led to some suicidal ideation. Um, and calling the Samaritans. So it was a, it's a really intense, um, difficult conversation. And if that is um, too much for you for this particular time in your life, um, we'll see you next week. And thank you so much for listening to us ramble on in this intro. More rambling. You should follow us on social media at Open House Pod on Instagram and at underscore Open House Pod on Twitter. We're very good on the old socials. Definitely more active on the on the gram. We have some good lives and reels over there. Um, less so on, tr- on Twitter. Less so on Twitter. On Twitter. <laughs> but um, we... We we like it there, and um, we're gonna we're gonna do more stuff. So find us, sh- say hi to us, email us at talkopenhouse at gmail if you fancy it. Because why not? I love when we get emails because it's very professional. It's very professional. Yeah. I re- <laughs> I was going to talk about the email we got from the mold guy, but <laughs> oh god, I it might not no, be you, you must talk about that. Okay. You must talk. About we got an email from from a guy. Well, it was actually, I think, a personal assistant of somebody who wanted someone to come on our show a to talk about mold removal. Personal assistant of someone whose job is mold removal. To be fair, I think they were a bot because I wouldn't be sharing that if that was something genuinely that people felt needed to be talking. Talk, if that was not something that people genuinely felt needed talking about at this moment in time. Do you know what? It was an interesting, difficult conversation they posed. It was like, you know, how to deal when your house is full of mould and you need to, like, move out or something. To be fair, we had a few difficult conversations about the mould in our house. I just don't think it really hits the mark for the podcast in terms of what we want to talk about. No, I don't think it does. But we really appreciated it nonetheless. But uh, I do still think it was a bot. Anyway... With all of that said, I'm sure you've had a lovely time listening to We present the Mold Man. Oh my gosh, we don't. We present our really wonderful podcast that is not about mold. Enjoy.
Welcome to Open House, the podcast all about having those difficult conversations. Ever had to hash out funeral plans with your terminally ill mum? Or ask if your dad is really your dad? We have, and we want to chat all about it. Join me, Clancy, and me, Mel, as we open up and get into some nitty gritty details. Like therapy, but cheaper. This is Open House. Hello everyone and welcome back to Open House. The house is open, you're open in the house, your ears are open and all the things are happening in houses. <laughs> wow, that's new. Um, thank you for that, Clancy. You're welcome. Sure the listener really appreciated that. Most we welcome. are so excited because we have a very, very wonderful person on our show today. It's someone who we both very much admire and think are brilliant today in the show in the show on the show around the show under the show we have helen duff everyone Ah! helen Helen is an actor writer and comedian and alumni of french masterclan philippe gullier award-winning critically acclaimed and otherwise known as the socially conscious clan her solo shows have won awards at the fringe and so many other places Helen is also the host of Come As You Are, a podcast all about orgasms, which you should go and listen to. Please welcome to the show, Helen! Helen, Helen, how have you been in lockdown? Yeah, how's life? It's all right, you know, I've really enjoyed making the podcast. I'm glad you have listened and liked it. That's lush. It's been a long time coming, which sounds like I'm making a pun about it because it's all about orgasms. But in fact, (laughs) it just took a long time to get together because I had the idea, I did a show about not being able to have an orgasm in 2016 and then was like, I should do a podcast about this while I'm making the show and didn't have access to any of the materials and stuff wasn't as obvious then. Obviously, I kick myself now being like, wow, you could have been a real pioneer and have loads of followers, (laughs) et cetera, but it's fine. I think it actually came together at the right moment because obviously people are listening a lot right now and also it allowed me to develop loads of skills like well the loop pedal stuff that you saw me doing at the lol word I'd only been doing that for about a year just over lockdown I'd got into that and then that allowed me to make sting to the podcast which I really enjoyed doing I just made a bunch more I think that it's my favorite thing yeah obviously you're brilliant we love you but genuinely the music and and all of the musical interludes and, and yeah. the stuff that goes with it. I love them. I, they're so phenomenal. silly and easy. It's like, oh my God, I'm a songwriter. Actually, no. You write like a sentence <laughs> and then no. sing the harmony. <laughs> it, really, so sure. it really makes it though and it really ca- like characterises the feel of the show. Like, I yeah. love it. It's fucking fantastic. It's, I think it's important because otherwise it can come across as there's loads of sex positive podcasts out there yeah. which are great but I was really interested in making something that was funny and also um, fun to listen to and like a pleasurable thing rather than just I don't know sometimes I get overwhelmed by other podcasts that are about sort of sex uh, Come As You Are is about orgasms but it's about quite a lot yeah. uh, surrounding orgasms like identity and relationships and self-esteem yeah. And uh, some other podcasts I've listened to are just like really intensely, almost chasing kind of extreme, extreme forms of sex- sexuality or like acts, you know, describing things that like um, a, like a special kind of way of being with somebody. And I was much yeah. more interested in like one person's kind of journey with yeah. orgasm. Um, so I'm really glad I've managed to create a sound that kind of reflects the slight difference I think it has to other 
maybe a podcast that might be about kind of sex stuff, if that makes sense. Because no, I'm a comedian as well. So I didn't want it to not be fun. That being said, uh, we would love to play a fun getting to know you game of two truths and one lie. Oh, gosh. How do you feel about that? Yeah, yeah, I'm up for this. <laughs> Except I, I must, no, maybe I shouldn't say it at the beginning that I'm fucking awful at it. I'm so bad at it. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm well, also cl- terrible. Cutsy's so really bad. I consistently win, so you're fine. Okay. Great. All right, Helen, do you want to give us your two truths and one lie? Okay. Um, I, uh, at six years old, got myself across Bangkok Airport on my own with just my brother, who was nine years old, and uh, made our way back to London from Thailand. Um, uh, My papa, who's my um, dad's dad, he uh, was a baker. He used to work for the cake uh, company Lions and he bought the first Battenberg to commercial market and I am notorious for eating peanut butter, marmite and ketchup sandwiches which is something I really didn't want to have to admit <laughs> but I got to the end and I'd run out um, and as a kid I used to pretend the ketchup was jam to try and uh, assuage the shame. I think the second one is a lie. I really hope the first one is true because I would like I've been to Bangkok Airport and it's fucking massive and I would be very impressed, very impressed. And I think my dad lives out in Bangkok, um, and so he's always going on about like how the airport is the busiest airport in the world. You know, it's so long. There are so many terminals and all this stuff. So I'd quite like that one to be true, so we can gossip about that. Okay, great. What was the second one again? I forgot. The baker. Battenberg. Baker. Yeah. Battenberg. Oh. Baker Battenberg. Okay. Oh, can't see you've swayed me. No, don't trust me. Right. No. 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 I don't trust you. No. I know. I know well enough. Okay. I think the first one is a lie. Okay. And I think maybe the ages were different, or maybe you don't have a brother. Maybe you have another sibling, or maybe you did it like actually on your own. So I think the first one is a lie. Okay. Battenberg is a true, and you and your wonderful sandwich combo nation is also true. Yeah, I think that's true. Okay. So now do I do the reveal? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Bangkok one is true, yeah. and I didn't adapt the ages. If I'd known I was allowed to do that, then I would have done that. Um, oh, the shit. Battenberg one is true, <gasps> and the sandwich one is absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, no, not, at all, not at all. You're so good at this. I so really sad. blanked on that last one. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm going up a, a like a ski slope, and I'm just starting <laughs> to go back because I have no idea what is going to come out of my mouth." But yeah, I'm that, glad you were that one was one. so bonkers that I was that like, was it, so "It must good. be true." Of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh wow, that's amazing. To anybody listening, book Helen for improv gigs because she's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we start on your difficult conversations? I am. I I feel like we're going to go on a journey with these, which I'm really excited for. So when you're ready, whatever one you want to want to bring up first. um, Okay. We already talked about. Shall we talk about the podcast one? Let's start on a light one. Why do we start on a light one? So. Okay. Um, I said that we would talk about um, my boyfriend and I. Uh, have this ongoing <laughs> struggle between us when it comes to cutting bread. So it's not just like, obviously, a sliced loaf is a dream because it comes 
pre-done, someone else has taken the pressure off. But when we occasionally, and I say occasionally because I know my voice suggests I eat it 24-7, buy a <laughs> When we occasionally buy a sourdough loaf, we've never tried to make one, don't panic. It, it's a, it's a, always tragic because it costs so much money. And then within oh, yeah. like two slices, it's fucked. He cuts it as if it's like, you know, the famous um, Jaws picture where he's, his, so he's kind of, if you can imagine looking at jaws from the side, mm. so you're getting like the depth of that jawline, that kind of angle, like the top, <laughs> the teeth of it. So it's just, it's impossible then to come up and, and slice something that's gonna be regular and straight. So you either have to cut to his line or you just get a shit sandwich. And, and mostly it's the latter for me because I refuse to cut to his line because it's a terrible line. So as a consequence it's like the biggest form of territory like marking it's like he's come and and pissed on the bread because he's effectively made it so that he's the only one who can cut it and also i mean <laughs> the end of the loaf is just 100 percent crust like there's it's just all you're left with is roof there's nowhere to live in that oh in that. yeah that's yeah. yeah now you're with me now you're oh, seeing I the situation i am i do i feel it in my soul and plus also i think sometimes i'm being gaslit when it comes to like i know people <laughs> use that term like far too lightly and i am here just to just to be explicit i'm using it very uh in a comedic manner and probably far too too lightly but i feel like i'm being gaslit around bread because he cannot see it he he denies all knowledge of the issue and i'm like it's it's literally like a, a cliff edge. Like if I was hanging off this, there'd be no way I would survive with my life intact. And, and so, so I went Instagram actually, and I put it on my stories and I had so much validation. So many people were like, OMG, this is a crisis. And others were like, this is me. I can't cut, cut bread for shit. I am your boyfriend. So essentially now what I've chosen to do when it comes to this conversation, and I've used it quite a lot actually, uh, the, the past few weeks in a funny way I know like a lot of people have been breaking up during lockdown and I feel for them some people have like stayed together or hooked up and lived together for the first time and that's a lovely we're we're doing pretty well actually and I think it's because we are able to laugh a lot um in in the middle of an argument and I credit myself mainly with with achieving that um, <laughs> only because I actually can't keep a straight face when he's being serious with me because I think I think probably I react to the feeling of um, guilt with like uh, uh, yeah becoming mildly hysterical. So so what happens is I say I say trust trying to kind of. Um, just trying to get my point across like this is serious and it, it can't continue with the bread but also to remind him that like um but still fun we still have it. it's still just being fun i will say i really don't want us to break up over this and it's important the delivery you need to sound as if you're a sort of text-to-speech automaton right so i really don't want us to break up over this um because <laughs> you don't want it to sound as if you're actually saying let's break up over this you do want it to sound as if at some point you probably will break up um, and you've realised that now given the loaf situation and they need to know that their time is limited. So so there's a sort of fine line that you're striking between um, sounding like a robot who doesn't mean it and also reminding them that it is a potential so cut the fucking bread straight please. I really don't want us to break up over this. But if we have to, <laughs> then perhaps we will. It's sort of the implication, I think. Is that have I? Is that really a difficult conversation? Yes. Or no? And how does he respond to that? 
He's Mancunian, so he just sort of goes. Yes. Um, he just sort of goes. Um, <laughs> have you ever lived with yourself? <laughs> have you ever had to live with yourself? Like, <laughs> yeah, either that, that or no, no. Actually, no. He'll rather go like, "Have you met yourself?" Because <laughs> he just is so like sick of it. Also, I made him sound like so much more deep and manly than he actually sounds. He's got a much lighter voice than that. But... That sounds Mancunian, or does that just sound generic northern? It does. No, it, so- it sounds Mancunian. Okay, I am. Um, I mean, I'm from between Manchester and Liverpool, so okay. I feel like my accent is f- and my accent's fucked, but it's it's close. It's very good. Nice. It's, yeah, I'm from yeah, Australia, it's, it's, and so it was great. Yeah, really good. <laughs> I don't know if it's best that um, that that your partner like doesn't know that they can't cut the bread or whether mm. they do because clancy so like how do you feel about this helen would you like to be cutting the bread like all of the time for all parties involved because clancy is really bad at cutting bread also <laughs> um, how do you feel about that do you, do you are you are you glad that there's at least some bread cutting going on and then you don't have to do it all or would you prefer that it be a clancy situation where she's like i know i'm shit at this can you do it for me and then you'd be cutting i'd really have to look at it all the time just thinking about mm. the way i would cut it now yeah. gives me so much satisfaction Ooh. yeah it's so delicious to imagine the straight ah, oh, those those uniform straight down the line slices actually i'm getting i'm getting a little bit high off it just the just the visualization do you know what My, I, I don't think i'm as bad as your boyfriend helen but there's, there's <laughs> a slight diag but that's just because my like sense of straight is not great right like, do you know right. what i mean like that's okay from mel's face i can tell that's not necessarily the truth <laughs> you've got like red dysmorphia yeah <laughs> hmm. <laughs> um no, I but I, I, I'm actually been really interested in this whole like living with people in lockdown thing and how you mm. approach like really genuinely things that you're a bit you know, things that you're a bit like, Oh, can I can I say that or is that gonna be offensive? Like mm. especially like living with partners and stuff. So my my boyfriend moved in over lockdown. He uses so many towels. Oh really? <laughs> I've been like is this necessary? Wow. Just letting you know, just wondering if it's... Where are the towels coming from? Are you facilitating that? I am. Yeah, they're yeah. coming from the towel cupboard that I... Oh, I didn't even know that because I have my own towels. I have, I yeah. I use the ones in the towel towels. cupboard. So yeah. he, he uses yeah. the towel for his face and his body, but like a full-size towel for his face. I'm like, why? Oh, just one individual. Yeah, like, you need to cut off the supply. I'm like, you what? need to. You're the dealer. You need to. You need to take charge of that situation. I think within the first months of being with my boyfriend, I actually made him buy a new bed. Did you? That's yeah, really his clever. Bed was so bad. His bed was so. Oh wow. And um, so small for the two of us. We're both quite tall people, and now we live together. We have the same bed that I went to the shop and bought with him, and. It's a really good bed. It's like big enough for us both oh. to sleep on either side and to have like a body's worth in between us. We don't need to touch at all if we don't want to. That. It's really nice. It gives you like a lot of freedom because you can have a lovely like cuddle, a bit of spooning, and then you can just break away and like sleep in entirely separate spaces. <gasps> so good. Wow, yeah. that is delightful. I'd highly recommend. We don't live a life of luxury at all, but our bed is like a place we want to be. That's fantastic. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. And speaking of beds, your I, Alex segues are terrible. It's very hard to. Segue, I know. I'm trying to think I if feel. that would when segue. The beds to beds mm. to orgasms. 
That would work. Oh, yeah, sure. Speaking that of beds, one. your next difficult conversation, Helen. It's funny because we talk about them being difficult. I I said um, they're difficult. They haven't been that hard, the conversations I've had. Mm, am I being deceptive? Am I lying to myself there? I sometimes go into conversations a, a few of the people I've had chats with about orgasms yeah. are people I've known previously so that mm. made it easier in the sense that we already had like um a common language like we could like laugh with each other and have fun yeah and and then there's other people who I've interviewed who are comedians who I know from the circuit but I don't really know personally yeah so again it's fun because they're funny people and they make stuff easier just by yeah having a giggle but I tend to ask the big questions about orgasms towards the end of the interview because I think probably part of me is hedging around it, even though actually like they know what they're there for. They've come for a conversation about orgasms. It's so clear on everything about the podcast that it's all about orgasms. I, I do find though that if it's something that we've like warmed up to, this is so bad because everything sounds like it's an analogy for an orgasm. If it's something we've like, worked our way towards, we've done the right amount of foreplay, the answers are better because I ask people, like the final question of the podcast is always, what does it feel like for you to orgasm? And I've done a couple of interviews when I was doing sort of like test pilot stuff uh, where I'd ask right at the beginning and the answers were never as detailed. They were always quite tense and people faked it. So it is so analogous with sex because essentially they'd fall back on like a kind of version of an orgasm they'd been trained to think was an orgasm almost like they kind of speak from personal experience but they'd also use a lot of the kind of tropes and yeah, yeah. it would never be as specific or as imaginative or as abstract and I love it when people really surprise me there's also a little bit of a, a caveat to that which is I'm scared that as the podcast goes along and people will listen to it before they come on as guests that they'll try and be really elaborate in order to not sound like someone else <laughs> because right. I know that I interviewed someone the other day and they were like I've listened to the other podcasts I knew this question was coming I've thought a lot really hard about it and and I was like oh I hope it doesn't mean that you've like written down your answer and prepared it because I'm really interested in getting guests into a place where they're talking about something that they haven't necessarily talked to other people about at length and I know that sounds like I'm trying to be really um trying to like get under their skin and burrow into something that they've never shared with anyone I hate all that shit about like let's get in a circle and tell this group of strangers a secret you've never told anyone else I'm like I would have no secrets to tell I've told all my secrets a hundred times yeah, <laughs> what the hell would I share yeah. as a way of yeah. making you vulnerable to a yoga training that's something I heard about the other day and was like oh it sounds awful oh. I don't want that at all but I do want people to be like um speaking to me rather than saying something they've rehearsed yeah. do you know what I mean yeah so what's really interesting is often often with the orgasm question people have never been asked that before or have never been asked it in terms of like tell me honestly like really really specifically what does it feel like for you how would you describe it on a physical level but also an emotional level a spiritual level and that's why I think the answers I get back are so buff they're like <laughs> I've had ones where people have had like outer body experiences people have blacked out not known where they are people have um wow people have like yeah felt as if they were coming closer to God like these sort of incredible things Whoa. just because you've sort of really made them think very carefully about a specific instance 
I love that. I also love that, um, I love that it is a difficult conversation because sometimes I will be, often when I'm having the chats, I'm like thinking on my feet going, okay, this person's just shared this about their career and this about their childhood, for, for, for example. And how can I, as an interviewer, try to think of, try try to see any are there any links there that I can see between like okay that's interesting that maybe in this part of your life you're really thriving in this part of your life you're really hiding and then how does that manifest in your sexual relationships and often there is a, a there is like a really clear triangle there's a there's something there that is a connection but uh, the difficult thing or the thing that I try and be really sensitive around and I kind of love but I'm always learning and I'm conscious that I'm not you know this is just me working it out as I go mm. and acting on instinct is um, not making the guest feel like they're being therapized and also not making yeah. the guest feel like they are um, like I'm trying to mismarple them, like go like, I've discovered the secret to your identity. Do you know what I mean? Like suddenly pull the rug out from under them and go, have you ever realized that the way you described this is really reflective of the way you describe how you feel during sex? It's funny that- And so- No, sorry, sorry, I was just gonna say, it's funny that you're describing that that thing that you do and that you've you've made a thing of doing it consciously and trying to create connections in the interview. Mm. Um, Because I noticed you did that. I just listened to, Oh, fuck. Who was on it? Uh, Jodie Mitchell. Jodie Mitchell. And I noticed you did that. Yeah, I noticed you did that with their kind of uh, their masculinity and their sexual relationships and their gender identity Mm. and how that all came into it. So it was just funny that you said that because I was like, oh, I said you'll do that. Or heard you do (laughs) it. I think when I I listen to myself back when we're doing the edits, I I realise that I do sometimes, and I know it's something I'm doing and I don't think I'm gonna be able to stop doing it um I do like an uptick when I ask a question uh, uh, at the end of I'll go like for quite a long time my questions are often quite long because I'm like working them out in front of the guest yeah. and um <laughs> and and I think that's cool because I think it shows that I haven't come in with like a really prescriptive set of questions I'm I'm responding to like what's happening in our conversation so I'm I'm okay mm-hmm. with those questions sometimes being quite um yeah uh, tangential and uh but I do notice that at the end I'll go up at it because I am clearly I've clearly just dropped a bomb I clearly just said something like um oh is it because you hated yourself that this was happening you know on a very basic level <laughs> obviously I haven't that's what I'm saying but I will sometimes say things that are quite blunt in a way mm. and then at the end I'll mm. go like or is that have I got it wrong <laughs> <laughs> And I've noticed I've done that and I'm like, I see what you're doing. You're trying to, it's that classic thing that I think women do quite often is go like, I think I, I think I'm right about this. I think I've seen this thing. I think I know this thing. I intuitively, or I sense that this is, this is what's going on, but I'm also conscious that I don't want to offend and I don't want to come across as if I know too much. Mm. So you then go right at the end, like, it's basically the vocal equivalent of going, um oh my god what's that thing that's gone really well with women like no worries if not like no no worries worries if not not. it's the vocal equivalent of going like uh yeah are you maybe in some sense a psychopath i mean no worries if not (laughs) do you know what i mean i think that's what's going on yeah but i 
I understand that whole thing of like almost like passing permission back to the person whose story it is. Yeah, exactly. I think mm. there's some, uh, that's so interesting you talk about somebody's story because I've had conversations with guests where potentially they've had really interesting relationships with other people. And part of our conversation is about that other person mm. or those other people that they might be with. But I've been, I've really, uh, a conversation I had recently that hasn't come out yet um, with a guest who suffers from a chronic uh, pain syndrome and has a relationship that is also really interesting in how that's intersected with that experience. Um, we talked at length about her, her um, syndrome and also about her relationship, but with a real sensitivity the whole time about it was coming from her perspective mm. and the, the other person she's with has their own story which they can tell however they want yeah. to. Do you know what I yeah. mean? So I was really conscious yeah. of not making it a podcast about sort of talking shit about someone else, if that makes Absolutely. sense. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm also yeah, interested yeah. in, because you are very open about sharing your kind of mm. sexual experiences and how you've you know, had your first orgasm and your, your current relationship and the significance mm. of that in, in that. In terms of, like, especially when you're podcasting, it feels, because there isn't an audience there, I feel like people often let their guard down. And so there are things mm. that you feel comfortable saying that upon reflection might not be appropriate for people who aren't in your sphere or, or aren't just one-on-one -on -one to, to hear. Yeah. Which, I, like, you know, obviously if people put it into the ether, but when you're doing your podcast, have you put certain boundaries in place or is it or is that very much a... Or is your partner comfortable with that being an open book? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you how do you meld the personal yeah. and the professional when your personal life <laughs> is so in your professional it's sphere? Is your professional? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's tricky, right? He's really amazing in that sense. I really respect him a lot because um, uh, I carry a lot of sh I carry a lot of shame around making men in particular because of relationships I have with my family uh, uncomfortable and I know that I carry that and what I think it's one of the reasons why I didn't come for quite a long time because I wasn't prepared to have certain conversations that could be awkward because I hated the idea that I would make um, yeah, at that time, it was certainly just men I was having sex with so I hated the idea that I would make my male partner feel inadequate or I would kill the mood or I would in some way yeah not be sexy in this very kind of archetypal empty sense of the word um and with my partner he has liberated me from that massively we have a really great open connection when it comes to conversation and talking about everything and um it's that sort of leads on to the next difficult conversation I was going to talk about, but I'll maybe park that for a minute. And so I think it's just that it's very, it's a very, um, he loves my comedy. We met because he's a documentary maker and we were doing comedy for people with Alzheimer's in care homes. And he was making a documentary about that. So that's how we met. And so he's always been aware of what I do and very supportive and really encourages me to be uh, like there's quite sometimes on stage I go into quite like a heightened form of myself and the night that we met I was really I was doing this 
a kind of a tryout for this this documentary and I didn't really know very much about it and I'd just come from another gig and I wasn't really in the mood so I just I let all of the sort of sometimes quite like mm, theatrical clownish side of me go and I was really just me and that's the person he fell in love with so he's really encouraging of me being like that on stage you know even when I want to do something maybe more elaborate so um I think what's really important I'm just thinking about it now how does it work because it's just something that's kind of come naturally uh, what's really important is that if there was something that was difficult between us that um, was I knew was sensitive that that was more his story than mine um, and that certainly reflected something that he personally wouldn't want to mm. share then I wouldn't share it it's not my story to tell I think that's just really understood yeah. I also think it's like he he and his family, which is really cool, they're kind of creative people, they're storytellers, a lot of them for their work, and they understand that sometimes to 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 give your story, to share your story with other people is a, is a gift, and to be open and to be vulnerable and to be honest is really powerful, and so being ashamed or afraid or hedging that kind of thing doesn't really help anyone and certainly doesn't make the content like stronger mm. if anything it, mm. it kind of waters it down so I think hopefully that's probably where that relationship that that's where their his perspective comes from I mean that kind of takes me into my other difficult conversation in a way if you want to go there yes please a segue it's um I think it's some I think I'm a fast processor and a fast talker and I think often that means that you think you felt the thing that you're feeling but you haven't you just talked over uh. it a bit and uh, and sometimes, yeah, so with the difficult conversation, the number three, it's funny because it kind of intersects with both things I've talked about so far. So I realised I suffer with PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, at the beginning of this year, basically coincided with lockdown, which I don't think is a coincidence. My periods had been really mm. erratic before that and then got super in sync because normally I'm in like five different places in a day. I go and teach students English. I go and do a comedy gig. I go and record an audio book and I'll be cycling like to every different side of London whilst doing that. And so lockdown is completely the opposite of my normal working day. And mm. being in one space and being pretty um, sedate by comparison, I think really actually helped my hormones to get more level. And so my periods became really regular which was great because I'd really wanted them to be I'd have been having like acupuncture and stuff and was worried about fertility kind of things and at the same time as being really happy that that was happening I got this crushing cyclical um mood disorder essentially kind of reared its head like before it had been there but it had been much harder to pin to my menstrual cycle and I started to research it online and that really helped because before that I had become in a way that I hadn't really ever been in my life like suicidal and just really, really uh, low. And, um, you know, I'd been violent towards myself in a way that I hadn't recognised. This is where the difficult conversation comes in because I hadn't essentially it takes hold of you for like 10 days either on the lead up to your cycle or to your period or like over your period it's really different for different women 
it's basically PMT, but like so much more extreme and so much more devastating because if you're in a relationship with anyone, say flatmates, family, a one-on-one -on -one partner, it makes life really intense for those, let's say 10 days, just as a rough estimate. And then you come out of it and it's literally like two-face. Wow. You, you, your hormones shift and you become your, yourself again, essentially is the way people describe it and is how I would describe it. You have hope again, you have lightness, you have optimism, you have productivity, you can do your work, you can get shit loads done. And you spend this big section of your month, you either lose two weeks or just under to like the PMDD days. And then you spend the next two weeks or however long you get clearing up the mess you've left and making it up to the people around you who've had to support you and hold space for you, knowing that you'll come out of it, but also knowing that they are really having to go through a lot, watching their loved ones suffer like that, but also kind of enduring the like, delicacy that has to you know go around like the tiptoeing the not knowing if things are going to be nice I was never really actively aggressive towards my boyfriend I, I would never like be violent towards him or shout at him or it was all internal it was all aimed towards myself you know that that sense of kind of crumbling inwards where you feel really um dejected and your self-esteem plummets and you don't really have the energy to do things that you normally would do some people are bed bound by it. I was really lucky I didn't get that. And some people have horrific migraines. Um, but the self-esteem thing was massive. And that tied in with lockdown and losing a lot of live gigs for comedy, etc. Was really hard and I couldn't see a way out of it. And it culminated in, yeah, this situation where I, and I'm going to be honest, like I haven't shared this and I hope this is okay with my family to say, because I know they would really worry about me but I ended up having to call the Samaritans because I was really worried about myself and I'd shared that with my boyfriend I'd shared my worries I'd shared the, the mm. thoughts I was having um the kind of suicidal ideation stuff um and he said I think you should call I think you should call the Samaritans so I did and they said I think you should call your GP and then I called my GP and they uh, like put me into the system to get support mental health support but the conversation that I thought was gonna be the most difficult one was the Samaritans one and yeah that was incredibly hard I was hysterical because the idea that I'd got to that point where I needed to call them like shocked the shit out of me I was completely shaken I imagine you know I used to live in Bristol and there's like signs all over the suspension bridge for the Samaritans and I never thought I'd get to that place but Actually, the even more difficult conversation was a couple of days later when I'd come out of it. Like I said, I'd, I'd been really gentle with myself because I was really shaken, been really careful. I'd not pushed myself too much work-wise, etc. And then I felt better. And uh, my partner and I were supposed to go and visit my grandma. She'd taken a little holiday on the coast in Norfolk and we were driving down together. And the night before we left, we had a huge argument. And it came out of a place of my partner thinking, feeling afraid, feeling that this was, because I'd said, I've called Samaritans, I've called my GP, I'm waiting for an appointment, yeah. right? You know, the whole NHS system. I'm waiting, I've yeah. done all the things I'm supposed to do. 
Mm -hmm. I'm waiting. I've done all the things, you know, you asked me to do essentially is what I was saying. Yeah. And he got really angry um, and stormed out to sort of get some air. And I felt very kind of abandoned. And uh, once he'd come home and we talked about it, and we talked about it the next day as well, thinking about your mm. thing about processing. I always think, oh, we've talked about it. We've had a hug, we've gone to sleep, we've slept on it. The next morning I'm always like, okay, great, it's sorted. It's not sorted. It's, he, you know, yeah. sometimes people are still processing. And if you're the person who is going, it's such a complicated thing, mental health, because you're so vulnerable that you feel like everyone around you should be taking care of you. And yes, that's true. But you also have to, if you're a human and you're in love with someone, you have to recognize that your mental health impacts them and you have to take care of them as well. And I know this is like a really difficult thing to get your head around sometimes when you're in a really dark place because you can really punish yourself, right? You can think, oh fuck, I'm ruining everybody else's life. So we had this conversation and I realized that this cyclic, the cyclical nature of this thing that was happening to me and this sense that I had that I'd already got help in the past, psychiatric therapy help, when I was younger. And so I should be better and I should have I should have sorted this out. So it was kind of pointless me contacting a therapist again because I'd, I'd, mm. I'd done all that work, you know. So I hadn't really taken, I hadn't, even though I felt like, oh, but when I get better, I really sort stuff out and I'm a really good person to be around. That wasn't enough. I hadn't really taken responsibility for sorting myself out and for um, for taking steps to make sure that this isn't just a foregone conclusion, that we don't just lose two weeks of every month because it's not fair. It's not fair to expect other people around you to constantly adapt. And I felt extreme, even now describing it, I'm like, fuck, people are gonna think I'm a fucking nightmare that I allowed that to happen. And it's, and it's, you can easily get into a situation where you think um, it's my fault, it's, it's my fault. And you go on this continual, like when he was trying to express to me how he was feeling, all I was doing was going, I'm, an, I'm a terrible person, I'm an awful person. Why doesn't he just leave me? He's gonna leave me. This is, I've, I've been so awful. And that's not what he wanted. He didn't want me to go into this place of self-punishment because that doesn't help anyone. You end up going into this place of, I'm such a bad person. And then what you're essentially doing is you're going, I need my partner to make me feel better. So then all they ever end up doing is being the person who makes you feel better. And they never actually get to express how, how they are feeling because they're scared to say, this is really difficult. So I had, I had to take on board that he wasn't saying I was a pariah who needed to like put on a hair suit and go into the streets and be beaten. He was saying, I need you to take responsibility for what's happening because I can't always be the person who is here. I can't, I don't know that I'll always be here, you know, and that's something really important to say. I think that's real love is when somebody is able to be straight with you and to say, I love you, but I also have to have boundaries so that I protect myself and so that I can continue to be as strong as you need me to be. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it was a huge chat. And I feel like after what we just said <laughs> with regards to um, how much should you share? I'm like, should I have shared that? Cause it was pretty, in 
it's a pretty private thing. But I also yeah. think it's, I think, <laughs> I hope if he were to ever listen to this, he'd respect that. I think he comes out of it as a very strong person. He's very loving and he's very, it's, I think it's a real gift to be clear, to be able to be clear with somebody about why you need, why you're saying certain things, you know? Yeah, I think that is a, I, I hold my, hold my hat off, is that the word? Yes, to anybody that's able to, mm. to do that and to be concise in what they say and to actually say what they mean, because there's so much that goes on here mm. for the podcast listener, I'm doing jazz hands in front of my chest, mm. but there's so much that sort of goes on here before you're able to actually like, get, as we were just saying before, get to that sort of speaking place and there's conversations that go on with you and yourself before you're sort of having those conversations with um with other people I'm really interested in because there have been a few people around me recently who have had similar have been in similar mental states how do you kind of gently almost ask a person to take responsibility for themselves and to try and take steps to, to have a shower or to to slightly move themselves from kind of what their what their rock mm. bottom is when like you know you don't know if someone even has the facility inside them to do that and to be able to pick yourself up to to take action like you did how did you find yeah. the strength to do that and the motivation to do that and how do you think the most gentle way of asking you to take those steps what does that look like in your head I think I was really lucky because like we've spoken about before, I have that really open channel with my boyfriend yeah. in terms of chat. So I'd been holding back a lot of the stuff that was going through my head and he could mm. see I was, and he <coughs> gave me the opportunity to speak freely to him, which I think is really generous because uh, it's easy to avoid those conversations when you know they're going to be hard and you know that what you're going to hear as the other person is going to be is going to be difficult you know it's it's hard to hear people who you love speak about not wanting to live or imagining that it's a really hard hard thing to hear and i think if you're the person on the receiving end of it you have to breathe a lot <laughs> and remember mm -hmm. that it will pass and that if you're giving somebody the opportunity to talk about it, that's a real gift and is probably 50% of helping, you know, allowing them to say those things, which seem like, for me, they seems really deeply shameful and deeply, um, in like, like a foregone conclusion almost. Like if I'm thinking these things, then God, is it gonna, is it just gonna happen to me without it, even like my own volition almost? So being able to share it and not, feeling like that was the end of the world was really important. And then mm -hmm. from, to be told, I think you should, <clears throat> I think you should speak to somebody, seek, speak to a professional, was again, really helpful because it was like, I don't even know if I'd considered that. I know that sounds crazy, but I just hadn't thought of myself as somebody yeah. who would need to do that. And I think that's probably part of like, me but also maybe just the advertising around it is so yeah. it's just like something over there isn't it it's something 
isn't isn't your life yeah yeah no I find that really yeah. interesting I think that um that that differentiation between the conversations that you're having with your with yourself and then and then when when another party is brought in the offer perhaps the things that might have been there in the back of your head but then you kind of go oh no that's not for me that's not that totally. thing I think that's really interesting like you say when you have this other person that's coming in and speaking gently to you and says actually perhaps so this is a forum and then they, and then you talk about it and gives you the space to be able to have that chat and suggest something like that um yeah I find that very yeah and that's really like and then I think good place it's to just be. really important I think probably the reason why I brought it up because I kind of mm. I didn't want to talk about this <laughs> speaking about difficult conversations because I didn't want it to um uh, I don't know why I didn't want to but I know why I wanted to which is that I wanted to share the 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 learning that I had around mm. why my why my boyfriend reacted in the way he did afterwards after being incredible in the moment when it was like kind of not an emergency yeah. but really important that he was really present and really listening and then a couple of days later having processed it was like actually that was scary and I was scared for you and the way in which you just sort of bounced back almost as if it hadn't really mattered was hard because I remain scared and you seem to have forgotten. And I think that's something that happens a lot. I think uh, maybe it's just my personality type, but obviously I like to talk about shit. Like that's why I do comedy. And I think mm. often people who are talkers and who are sharers can unburden themselves on others and then go like, wow, I feel so much better now and walk away <laughs> and be like, mm, it's, it's uncomfortable for me to realize how much I've just loaded on that person. So I'm probably just gonna like, thank them a lot, show them affection, but not have to think too mm. deeply about what they just had to process. And I think, it's, I think it's really convenient to do that as the talker, as the sharer. It's really convenient to go like, I've been having a really hard time and my actions have no impact on others when they fucking do. They really do. And so I think it's really important to like acknowledge that as the sharer, as the person who is sharing without shame, without that shame attack of going like, I've just shared something. Someone's just done me a, a real solid by listening and by holding space for me. And to not then go, I have two choices. I can either ignore the fact that they just gave me this huge gift or I can feel extremely guilty about it. And that in a way manifests as them then having to like somehow make me feel better about myself mm. <laughs> um, for being there for me. It's, you know, that thing where you're like, I'm so sorry you had to be there. I'm so, so sorry. And they're like, don't worry about it. It's fine. That in itself is also a bit shit, I think. So I think it's really important to be able to be like, this person, yeah, did an amazing thing for me. They are really, really generous and I need to be there for them as well because they are a human and they will have a reaction to what I've shared without going like, yeah. I should feel awful for sharing it. I should feel guilty for sharing it. Yeah, I hope that's that's not, not too ramshackle. I just think that's what I came away from it with. I came away from it realizing that in a way I'd been, I'd thought I'd been really good for being open and actually, and I had, but on top mm. of that, I'd been doing a little bit of like dodging the shame by creating this guilt 
I don't know, something around that, yeah. No, I can, I 100%, I think I completely resonate that. And I just, I wonder, I don't know, I've just been trying to think about it then as, you, as you've been talking about it. Like, where do you think it, the, the shame comes from? Do you think it's ourselves? Our, of course it must be a learnt thing, of course it must mm. be. Um, as a, like a society thing, but I just wonder if you have any thoughts about that because I think that that is a really prevalent thing. Mm. Be that I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure I've seen that manifest itself in other people around me um, when you know we've been in in difficult yeah. situations. And as I say, as somebody that sort of went from being a literal closed book to <laughs> being a somewhat more open book, mm. like I'm sure I've definitely done that myself and been like oh I've shared all this stuff of oh fuck uh that that's something that I never used to do and I probably shouldn't have done that and then definitely did the guilty thing for sure I'm sure I did that but yeah I just wonder if you have any thoughts on where we think that I think it comes from from. a lot of uh this being quite new like it's only Mm. relatively recently that getting therapy has become something that people do and something that people feel like they ought to do and that they have a right to I know in America it's been quite a big thing for quite a long time but especially in the UK I think it's Mm. relatively new as something that is seen as like as important as physical health mental health so yeah we have this new vocabulary of openness and of people Mm -hmm. sharing stuff but we don't yet have all the skills that come with dealing with the aftermath of that and almost we have this really um unhealthy culture that's that's been created around like experiences like this with you now where mm. um like you said you put stuff in place to make sure that people are, are safeguarded and and kind of mm. supported after the podcast or even sometimes during but most of the time people are sharing shit on tiktok or twitter and they blow up or they don't, even worse, fucking hell, you've shared your soul and nobody even noticed. And there's nothing yes. in place, <laughs> there's nothing in place to support you, to, to, to like, to essentially say your experience is still valid, even if people didn't acknowledge it in quite the way you were expecting. I think it's really important that we don't get into a situation, which I think we're already in, unfortunately, where it's like it's really cool to talk about mental health as long as you up your follow account like it's it's as if sharing stuff that's been hard for you is um a really quick way to increase your yeah. profile do you know what i mean like it's really dangerous territory yeah it's like trauma muling people like exactly. it's the I, it's just something that like we've we don't want to do and have been so mm. it's so hard to be conscious of it and just make sure that it's not happening because mm. it that, that all of that stuff the followers all of that it doesn't matter at the end of the day like people's well-being and like being able to be say and do all of that in a safe mm. manner like mm-hmm. yeah is no, the I've most seen important thing sorry on, Nancy, kind of on I instagram with things like uh fitness accounts and people sharing a lot about eating disorders but in a forum that you think can you yeah. get all the nuance of what you're experiencing into that caption? And is that going to be a safe mm. space for people who could be in the throes of that? It's it's a delicate conversation, I think. Is there anything that you came to say that you haven't already said? Oh, I don't think so. Just I don't think so. I wanted to, like, I mean, with PMDD, I'm incredibly lucky. I think that's really important to stress. Like, I have a supportive partner. Mm. And I know that... Um, 
for women who suffer from PMDD are even more vulnerable to domestic violence, especially during this time, because if you can imagine like everything I've described going through with a partner who is um, already prone to attack, uh, it's mm. just a, it's a real nightmare situation. And I think lockdown has made that even more of a boiling pot yeah. of stuff. So, um, mm. yeah, like support domestic violence charities is probably my massive takeaway. Because and if you think you're suffering from PMDD, there are websites. There's a really good Facebook group for UK. Well, you can probably access it if you're outside called UK PMDD Support, which I found amazing for information and insights. And um, yeah, there's stuff online because you often you won't get your, your GP probably won't pick up on it um, unless you push yeah. for a diagnosis. Amazing. Yeah. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Yeah, obviously um, the podcast, yourself. 100% the podcast. <laughs> Listen are, to it. Um, everywhere. We're Facebook and Instagram as come as you are pod and Twitter's come as you are part two. So instead of the D, it's a two, <laughs> a nightmare. How could I? I didn't know how to work it so I could just get come as you are pod. <laughs> And then we are on Acast and Spotify and iTunes. Um, and there's three episodes out and there's, this season is gonna be 12 episodes long and I just booked in a guest for the final episode I'm really excited about. But I mean, all the guests are banging and they come out every week on a Tuesday, yeah subscribe and write a nice review because everyone's been so lucky and also I think reviews. it's important to stress that people listening they do make a difference like it's so hard to get people to listen to your podcast and when people review it iTunes values the podcast so please do review Helen's yes. podcast and after you do that please review our podcast <laughs> This one too, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Helen, thank you so much for your generosity and for bringing these conversations to us. We really appreciate Absolute it. Absolute pleasure, so thank you. This has been Open House with me, Mel Lowe. And me, Clancy Ryan. Music by Glenn Clark. Glenn Clark.